Welcome to the official Ronnie Landis Podcast Show, where you learn to upgrade the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. This is no ordinary health or personal growth podcast, and Ronnie Landis is definitely no ordinary host. Ronnie Landis is an integrative nutritionist, transformation coach, and human behavioral specialist. He brings on some of the world's leading thought leaders to deliver to you the most cutting-edge information and unique perspectives so you can create the life of your dreams. Get ready to receive your upgrade in all you believed was possible, starting now. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis, and before we begin today's incredible show, I want to share an upcoming program I am launching in mid-March, which could be exactly what you're looking for to take your life in every way to a completely new level. You see, over the last year, I have received more requests for personal coaching in the areas of creating optimal health experiencing transformational breakthroughs, and reaching one's highest potential in life than ever before. The coaching work I have done over this last year has been exceptionally powerful, and the results my clients have received has truly and profoundly blown me away, to say the least. As I have deepened my work with my one-on-one clients, I realized there was a major limit to the amount of highly dedicated individuals I could serve and support through this work. Because of this, I decided to create a highly specialized group coaching model that would foster an exclusive, highly supportive, and co-creative environment that helps each person reach their ultimate goals in life and highest expression of vibrant health. This is an eight-week experience called the Breakthrough Transformation Program, and it's designed to ensure each participant receives all of the support, information, and practical tools necessary to reach a place in their holistic life they never knew was possible. I will be personally taking a group of 20 people every week through a deep learning curve into the unexplored potential and helping them to accelerate the integrative process of self-mastery. This program will focus on specific areas such as creating invincible health strategies, cutting-edge nutrition strategies, emotional and mental mastery, overriding poverty consciousness with prosperity consciousness, accelerating learning modalities, becoming a truly empowered leader, and building a successful coaching slash service-based business, and trust me when I say so, so much more than that. This program also will include a three-day live event, which is going to be following the online coaching program and an opportunity to join me for a private Hawaii immersion experience. This program officially begins March 15th and will only be open to the first 20 people who register. So in order to discover if this one-of-a-kind coaching opportunity is the correct fit for you and your goals, please shoot me a quick message at Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, at HolisticHealthMastery.com. 
Again, that's Ronnie at HolisticHealthMastery.com. I'll respond back to you, um, and then we will carry the conversation on from there. Diving headfirst into today's epic interview is with my dear friend, Sacred Steve Adler. And you may remember episode number one on this podcast is featuring Steve Adler in an interview that we did almost four years ago. And what an incredible interview that was. That's still one of the most downloaded interviews on this podcast. So if you haven't heard that, you're going to want to listen to that after you hear this conversation. Steve Adler is the primary founder and owner of the world's very first cold-processed raw chocolate bar. Him and his business partner, David Avocado Wolf, were the first people to really figure out how to crack the code of turning a raw cacao bean into a non-heat processed, properly tempered chocolate bar with a snap and everything. And what an incredible invention and innovation that was. And Steve is so much more than just an expert chocolatier and an amazing chocolaholic, if you will, just in the most amazing way. He's, he's like the reincarnation of Willy Wonka. He, he's like the personification of the energy of the, the um, Gene Wilder Willy Wonka portrayal in one of the greatest movies ever, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He really imbibes that particular personality in so many ways. And what's really interesting about Steve to me is that he's a Stanford-trained rocket scientist. And he turned all his intelligence and knowledge over to actually starting a raw chocolate company, which I find very fascinating. But in 1993, he actually had his life completely changed by raw living food. And um, he'll, he talks more about that journey in this interview. One of the things that we jump into so deeply is his passion for what he calls the sacred heart, the sacred heart of love. Steve is essentially the minister of the sacred heart, which is his own particular type of spiritual religion, if you will, maybe not the best word, but spiritual teachings that he really derives a lot from the the book Love Without End by Glenda Green and has his own unique kind of perspective on the scientific reality of the sacred heart and actually providing a quantum physics and scientific material kind of perspective on what love is, like the adamantium particles or the God particle perspective on love, where it takes this idea of love, which is often more ethereal, it's more energetic or, or vibrational in nature, or it's kind of elusive. We don't really, we can't really hold it. We don't really know what it is. We just know that it exists. Um, he takes it from a completely scientific perspective and, and kind of weaves it all together in this amazing way that gets you to realize like, wow, love really is the unifying principle that connects and weaves together the fabric of life. Love is actually the thing that animates all life force. It could be, it could be compared to or related to as prana or mana as the Hawaiians consider that to be what animates all life. It's the life force that gives life to everything. That's essentially what Steve is talking about. And he has such an interesting perspective on it. 
And I think you're going to be in for a ride. This is going to take you in an interesting direction into your own self-discovery and in your own kind of understanding of what love is and the power of love for all forms of healing and all forms of transformation. Get ready and enjoy this conversation between me and Sacred Steve Adler. Steve Adler, a.k.a. Sacred Steve, is an ordained minister and chaplain of Spiritus Church. Steve also holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and a master's degree in aerospace engineering from Stanford University. Steve's first career was as a thermosciences engineer working on the design of the propulsion models on space station Freedom. Later, Steve, along with a childhood friend, started NowComp, a computer brokerage company. Initially inspired by Anthony Robbins, Steve's interest in raw foods grew in 1990s, culminating in the creation of Natura Raw, an online store focused on the raw food lifestyle. Inspired by the works of Glenda Green, who wrote the great book Love Without End, Steve's mission is to teach humanity about the power of the sacred heart and the true relationship between the mind and the sacred heart. He believes that one powerful stepping stone to empowering the sacred heart is through the raw food diet. Steve loves to speak on the subject of his personal spiritual path. And with that, we are going to dive just into that particular topic. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, Ronnie. Great to be back. Thank you for inviting me back on. Oh, it's my pleasure. For everyone listening, uh, if you go down this podcast to episode number one, you can catch the first interview that me and Steve did together almost four years ago. And I made that, that was just a remastered episode that I aired on this particular podcast. And I labeled it number one because I felt like it was the absolute best introduction into the central themes that this podcast explores. And if you haven't heard that, make sure that you go back to episode number one and listen to that interview because, I mean, it's, it was just extraordinary. I mean, every once in a while, I go back to the episode if I need some, like, some hilarity and humor and just some powerful insights injected into my consciousness. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we got on a real roll about, uh, you know, a lot of things besides chocolate, uh, you know, love, uh, the sacred heart, um, the ego uh, mm. structure and how the mind deals with all that. Uh, that was a fantastic episode. Yeah, that was really fun. And we're going to take a similar kind of intro into this episode, although I feel like it's going to be completely different content because as you know, and I know we're changing, we're, we're, you know, our life is an unfolding possibility each and every moment, each and every day, certainly four years down the line, we can literally become a completely new human being. So the first question I have for you is, you know, before we jump head first into some of the more recent work you've been doing and what our focus is going to be for this interview. Could you please share your experience for our audience, you know, getting into the raw chocolate industry and just what keeps you passionate about producing the world's highest quality cold processed chocolate bars? 
Uh, well, I got into raw chocolate uh, through my good friend David Wolf, and who um, later became my business partner in Sacred Chocolate. Um, uh, he inspired me by um, sending me raw cacao beans and talking about how they were so uh, healthy for you. And um, after a while, I thought to myself, I wonder if it's possible to make a raw chocolate bar. Uh, so I, you know, experimented in my kitchen, figured out that, you know, there's no reason to cook or roast those cacao beans. So I later approached David and said, hey, you want to start a raw chocolate company? And he said yes. And um, so we started Sacred Chocolate in 2006. And uh, what keeps me passionate about that is um, I just, you know, I think I was probably an alchemist or maybe somebody once told me I was the daughter of a medieval alchemist in a past life. <laughs> so I think, I think that there's some sort of alchemy uh, aspect to my soul that I've carried forth from prior lifetimes. And so um, I think I just have a natural talent for formulation. Um, I love coming up with new exotic formulas um, I love being on the cutting edge of nutraceutical chocolate, which is where we're uh, focused on currently. Um, and I, I just love, um, you know, putting smiles on people's faces and, and giving people the opportunity to experience the world's greatest food um, in a completely healthy, guilt-free, love-filled fashion. I, I guess that's what keeps me going is just my passion for delivering the highest quality chocolate in the world and and knowing that everybody is is really um, enjoying that and feeling blessed by it. <clears throat> That's beautiful. And yeah, I can I can absolutely say that everybody is enjoying it and still just as much as ever feeling totally blessed by it. I mean, in all my circle of friends and, and mutual friends, it's so interesting when we do talk about chocolate because the chocolate industry or the raw chocolate industry has evolved so much. And so many of my close friends are, are also professional chocolatiers. They have their own herbal chocolate company or whatever the case is, which is fascinating to watch in of itself. As you know, I, for a very short run, had my own chocolate bar, which was in conjunction with you in Sacred Chocolate. You were actually the one producing it through your factory, the Genius Bar, uh, which may still see the, the, the light of day um, at some point in the future. But it's just fascinating, right? Because one of the things that people keep telling me, and I, I certainly tell people when they ask me, what's your favorite chocolate bar? It's like, well, that's an easy question, but everything after that is a little bit harder. So sacred chocolate is by far and always has been, probably always will be, my personal favorite chocolate bar under the sun. And then after that, there's a little more thought in it, but you know, it's like, there's no, there's no real comparison in my mind. Wow. That, thank you so much, Ronnie. That is huge coming from you because I know you've been working on a book on chocolate. I know that um, obviously you had um, your genius bar um, under cardiozoic cacao and um, I'll tell you, I still get requests for that bar. That bar was amazing. The formulation that you put together was just phenomenal. It was it was incredibly delicious. It was very potent. People felt the effects. I mean, you had herbs in there that were definitely uh, potentiating um, consciousness. 
and uh, helping people wake up on all levels. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that, that was truly amazing. So I just, I want to say thank you. Cause I know you've probably tasted every raw chocolate bar out there <laughs> by and far. So that, that, yeah. That, so that, yeah, that's <laughs> huge coming from you. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. And just, you, you actually just said something for anyone that's listening that you may not have really delved into the, the chocolate or even raw cacao world. You're still kind of like new to it, whatever the case is. Steve just said something that you may have caught, which is a chocolate bar can awaken consciousness. Like, can we just touch on that maybe for a couple minutes before we dive further into this conversation? What an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons um, I got inspired to get into uh, raw chocolate making because um, I already had a huge spiritual awakening when I got into raw foods back in 93. Um, it was amazing. It, you know, as my body cleansed itself of all the toxins from the sad diets, um, I, I, you know, my brain started to wake up. My, my whole nervous system started to calm down. My sacred heart started to open up more. And so I was like, wow, this not only is having huge benefits for me physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So I was sold. I was sold on the, on the raw food diet back in 93. And then raw chocolate took it to a whole new level um, because I'd never really experienced um, a food that really could sort of naturally get you high. In other words, like not in any sort of weird jittery way, like, you know, coffee or, or, you know, or, or whatever other drugs, marijuana or alcohol or anything like this. I mean, chocolate was, it's, it's it sort of, it made you, um, hyper, at least it made me hyper focused, hyper aware um, and actually it put me in a good mood at the same time and gave me energy. And so because of that, I was able to, um, you know, basically focus on areas I'm always, always interested in, such as, you know, spirituality, such as the sacred heart. So raw chocolate for me became an extra tool to um, help in my um, work life, to help in my meditation, to help in my spiritual life. And so it was just, it was like this, the most incredible, you know, extra tool uh, for me personally to awaken consciousness and uh, continue down my path of spirituality. Um, And I think, you know, obviously for many people um, in the world, it has that same sort of effect. Obviously, you've got all those um, natural uh, nutrients in cacao, such as anandamide and and phenylethylamine and, and um, tryptophan and, you know, there are dopamine compounds in there, serotonin, you know, all these things are these natural um, brain chemicals that make your brain kind of awake and alive. So, you know, a lot of people will agree with me on this, that, yeah, you know, chocolate, especially raw cacao that has a very um, delicate chemistry and it, it is is a very huge potentiator and accentuates um, the already um, beneficial effects that normal chocolate has on, on the mind. Um, raw cacao takes it to a whole new level because all that chemistry is, 
is more intact. It's it's um, less degraded. It's more concentrated in raw cacao. Mm, absolutely. And it was a huge catalyst in my journey <clears throat> of getting into raw living plant food. And then as you you said, and that's the best way to say it, raw chocolate just takes it to a whole nother level. So thank you for that. And for everyone else listening that's like waking up to this whole kind of reality that you can actually have your chocolate and eat it too, well, then take yourself to sacredchocolate.com at some point um, at the end of this interview or right now to check it out while you're listening and uh, be astonished at the quality and the 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 um i don't know the flavor undertones there's also some kind of essence there's some kind of vibrational resonant frequency signature that's embedded into those chocolate bars um which i'm i'm aware of the processing that you guys go through to to actually do that so everyone out there make sure that you get on the the sacred chocolate bandwagon <clears throat> thanks ronnie yeah there there's a lot of love there's a lot of prayer um, you know, whenever I think about sacred chocolate, I bring it into my own sacred heart and actually pray that mana mm-hmm. materializes in all the chocolate, wherever it is out there in the world, whether it's in our factory or on store shelves. Um, I love chanting my, <clears throat> excuse me, my mana prayer chant, um, which goes mana na mana na 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 mana na na mana na 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 mana na 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 mana na mana na 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 and we'll go on, but it's that kind of deep prayerful chant that I love doing over the chocolate as it's stone grinding um, with full intention to bring in mana into the chocolate. And I, I believe especially people who are very sensitive can feel that actually. I truly believe that there is mana materializing in the chocolate, even if it's very, you know, minute, you know, amounts. Uh, but I think people who are very hypersensitive to this sort of thing pick it up. I know uh, years ago um, I had an empath who I'd never known. She came up to me at a show and she said, oh, my God, I, I, there's a lot of raw chocolate here, but there's something about this chocolate is different. And we got into it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can feel that you pray over the chocolate. So mm, That's beautiful. That leads me into my next question, which is you use the word sacred heart all the time. And so I'm I'm wanting to open up this this part of the conversation. What exactly is the ministry of the Sacred Heart? For me, what that is is basically leading people um, back to an experience of living in their own sacred hearts, um, educating them that this point exists within themselves. Is, has been there all along and will always be there. And through this point, they can always connect directly to God. And so when I say I'm a minister of the Sacred Heart, um, it's basically um, the focus, the energy, the love, the education that I'm committed to in bringing forth um, that knowledge to people helping people having a visceral, real experience within themselves of um, being that love that's flowing through their heart, through their sacred heart. 
and understanding what it's all about and understanding that it's the ultimate yoga. Um, so for me, uh, it's the core of my spiritual path and um, it's the very reason why um, sacred chocolate is called sacred chocolate and why sacred chocolate is in the shape of a heart. It's symbolic of the fact that, you know, I'm a minister of the sacred heart and I want to teach humanity about the sacred heart and the power of the sacred heart and teach them how to live in the sacred heart. Um, so, you know, sacred chocolate is, is symbolic of that. And it's a message. It's a messenger, whether, um, literally or figuratively, it's a, it's a messenger to people to like come from that space, um, you know, less than say just a pure mental or egoic space. Mm, got it. That's a good, that's a good kind of a segue for the next question I have. Now, as you know, I just recently watched one of your recent lectures on the sacred heart and the dynamics of love from a, from a quantum physics perspective. So it's really amazing content for everybody to wrap their mind around to help connect their mind to their sacred heart. And I kind of have to set up the, the question, the eventual question I have. So before we dive into the nuts and bolts of where we're going to go with this, could you please make a distinction for our audience between, I guess, what we consider Newtonian physics or material physics and what we call quantum physics? Sure. Uh, so Newtonian physics or classic mechanics is basically the subject of um, understanding um, the motions and the forces and dynamics um, surrounding um, sort of everyday objects moving at everyday speeds. Um, so objects, um, you know, of say, um, uh, uh, you know, the scale of, you know, maybe even, um, you know, the scale of your own cells. Okay. That even that is small as that, um, all the way up to the size of planets and stars and so on and so forth. So when you're dealing and you're studying, um, you know, objects, um, of, of these sizes and you're also dealing with speeds that are significantly less than the speed of light, uh, the laws that um, Isaac Newton um, originally um, came up with um, apply, and they apply very, very accurately. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's the whole subject of Newtonian physics or, or classical mechanics. Quantum physics um, is um, dealing with uh, particles that are much, much, much smaller. Um, you know, dealing with particles that are um, basically, um, you know, the size of subatomic particles. Um, you know, dealing with um, bosons and leptons and muons and things like this, electrons. Um, and any what quantum physics is, has determined is that there's um, a lot of uncertainty um, uh, associated with um, these particles as they get very, very, very small. The behavior of these particles 
don't follow typical behaviors uh, that would um, show up uh, under Newton's laws. Um, you know, the particles themselves seem to fluctuate between having like a particle, like a little teeny piece of mass, um, and the characteristics and nature of that, um, and that of an actual wave in a field, like an electric mm-hmm. field or a magnetic field. So, so that's one weird thing that's going on right there with quantum mechanics is this dual particle wave nature of these small particles. The other thing that's really weird is that um, these particles um, um, tend to communicate um, instantaneously with each other um, through um, uh, any distance, distances as far as, you know, galactic distances. Um, If particles um, have any sort of relationship to each other, um, if you if you observe or look at one particle at at one location, and then the particle that um, had a connection with that particle but was separated for whatever reason at a very far distance away, by observing one particle, it's affecting the other particle a huge distance. They call this um, um, quantum non-locality. They call mm-hmm. it like spooky action at a distance. There's all these different terms for it. So it basically is saying that, wow, everything is literally connected. Um, it's kind of like, you know, it's imagining that the whole universe is like, say, a stick. And as soon as you kind of touch and move one end of the stick, the other end of the stick instantaneously moves. Um, that's just an analogy. But it's kind of like that. So, um, and then there are, there's this thing called the uncertainty principle, which means that um, you can't really totally predict the motion of these particles. Um, and as soon as you observe the particle, um, you affect its, its, um, its nature. Um, so you can't even objectively measure the particles. Whereas with uh, uh, Newtonian physics and, Newton- and classical mechanics, you can. You can objectively observe um, objects and um, the observation of it is not affecting the nature or motion or behavior of the object. But that's not the case in quantum mechanics. As soon as you observe something, it affects the whole yes. thing and, cha- mm-hmm. and changes everything. <clears throat> so this is, these are kind of the, sun, the fundamental differences. And, of course, physicists have, try, have been trying for now decades to unify um, these two um, uh, um, areas of physics, um, you know, because it seems like, wow, as soon as you look at something at a small enough scale, you've got to now operate with a different set of physics and laws and rules. And for physicists, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of odd. It's kind of weird. It's like, it seems like, well, you know, why would you have to do that? Now, maybe they're just judgmental about it. Maybe it's no big deal that you have to operate with two sets of rules based on scale, hmm. you know, maybe. And that right now, they've everybody just kind of accepted that. But physicists have already always said, oh, well, let's try and make one unified grand, you know, grand theory that, you know, these sets of laws will, will apply to everything, no matter what, <laughs> no matter the size, how big you get or how small you get. And mm-hmm. so that's always been a big push in physics. So it's, it's uh, there's so many interesting things that come up for me because, 
more and more quantum mechanics or quantum physics is of intense interest to me as it relates to the emotional, psychological, and physiological health and well-being. And I've just seen the connection more and more and more. One of the things that you brought up, non-locality, is an idea that I talk about all the time. You know, for example, the primordial wound that people carry, whether they've been circumcised, they have had some kind of trauma from their formative years, that wound can energetically crystallize in the physical tissue of their body and they can carry on the remembrance or, or re-experience the moment in time where they had that wound you know, 30 years later, as if they just experienced it, right? It's like, to me, that's a form of non-locality principle anyways. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically the idea that, um, this conversation right now is, uh, heard and felt, um, throughout the entire universe, uh, instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And not only is, not, not only is that the case, but it's forever recorded within this, you know, the 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 um, the the, uh, the matrix and the the actual fundamental particles um, of the universe. So this conversation um, can always be uh, uh, retrieved, if you will, um, whether through it's just you know our of course our mechanical means like recording this conversation on Skype or whatever. Or um, if you have other technologies, um, you could retrieve it probably um, through like what they term the Akashic Records. Mm, uh, right. Or, 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 you know, I've, I've read certain ET books where, you know, the ETs have technologies supposedly that can, um, you know, uh, retrieve an event by... Um, you know, speeding up to it. In other words, the event is going off into the universe at the speed of light, and they can catch up to that, if you will, and look at the event. Um, so it's, you know, or if it's just in your own memory. So there are a lot of, you know, there, basically this event is forever recorded, and it can be retrieved and replayed um, as if it just happened. Right. You know, one of the, the things that you mentioned about, your prayer and intention is that you don't have to locally be at the same physical site that you're making the chocolate. You can be virtually anywhere in the world and translate your intention non-locally over to the chocolate bar and somehow the effect is still made. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the power of love. Love, um, you know, affects um, the most uh, fundamental particle called the Higgs boson mm. um, or the Higgs particle, or sometimes they just call it the God particle. I call it the adamantine particle. But love um, commands or affects or influences this particle, um, and it does so um, at any distance instantaneously. There's no time lag. Um, and um, I like to refer to... Um, a book called The Secret Life of Plants. In the first chapter of that book, there was a, a cryptologist named um, Mr. Baxter. I think it's Clive or Cleve Baxter. And mm -hmm. he was famous for um, demonstrating that um, if you hook up a lie detector 
um, to a plant, um, the the detector will um, start registering um, some sort of signal coming from the plant. And if you have a relationship with the plant, um, what you do or don't do the plant will uh, immediately register on the lie detector machine. So he was famous for, like, say, um, you know, having a plant in his office, hooking up the lie detector machine and then burning the leaf of the plant and watching the plant freak out. And in fact, the plant freaked out before he burnt the leaf, but he was, he was on his way to burn the leaf. And the plant knew that before he actually even struck the match and the plant freaked out on the machine. But if he tried to fake it, like he was moving toward the plant with say the match or the lighter, but he knew he wasn't actually going to burn the plant. The plant didn't freak out at all on the machine. Mm-hmm. So the the plant, because of the relationship between the plant and him, um, that love relationship, because of that, um, you know, the plant um, could feel his his love, you know, and the intent of his love. And it turned out that it was an instantaneous. Um, reaction. They started doing these these experiments at distances where they would put somebody at a distance and put them under stress and the plant would be maybe even a thousand or ten thousand miles away and the plant would instantaneously freak out because the person that the plant was close to was under a lot of duress. They NASA eventually used this phenomenon uh, for the space program. Um, they, when astronauts were in space, they could tell if the astronaut was under any sort of stress because what they did is they took some cells from the astronaut and kept them alive in a petri dish, basically on Earth, and would hook up the same lie detector um, uh, machinery to these cells, and there was an instantaneous uh, registering on the machine. Uh, by the cells, if the astronaut was was stressed out, even though the astronaut was thousands of miles away, because of the connection, the love connection between the astronaut and the cells. Wonderful. This is the perfect introduction for the next part of this conversation. And in order for me to kind of provide the right context, I want to... um, quote you from that lecture that you recently gave one of the quotes that you said really stuck out to me which is since love is the foundation of all existence then all existence has a primary awareness of itself so you know hold that in your mind for a moment and this is pretty much where i want to go with it so please share with me and our audience your perspectives on the living systems in our world that govern all life and its connection to the idea or of interpretation of love, otherwise meaning, how do these systems interact with the primal magnetism of love? Okay, well, um, basically, uh, if uh, love itself has a primal awareness, so it's an energy that's aware of itself. And... um, and basically, all of existence com- is comprised of just three components. Those three are love, 
the adamantine particle, and the one spirit. And that's the tripart universe that um, not only modern physicists has a, have, modern physicists have acknowledged, but also spiritual paths, wisdom traditions, religions have all acknowledged some sort of like tripart universe. Um, so basically, um, love is like the the energy or the intelligence um, that is the creative power that's basically moving and assembling um, not only our physicality in this 3D universe, but in also in other dimensions, in other systems that our consciousness may not even be aware of, except for maybe in dream states or altered states. Um, so love basically is this, um, this very primal energy and that, and the source of all love is God. So, I mean, human consciousness really can't, um, fully comprehend God. Um, and is is the way that we can at the most is to experience love, to experience ourselves as the love that we are, to experience the, the whole nature of the universe as love manifest. So it's, it's the energy of love that is basically supporting um, the entire universe as we know it. And it's guiding all these particles into all the patterns that we see with all our physical senses and all our instrumentation. So it's love that's at the very foundation and love uses what's called primal magnetism as its agent or agency to actually, you know, move these little fundamental particles all around. And a lot of these fundamental particles have already through the power of love, through the power of primal magnetism have already locked into certain configurations for the duration of this universe or existence. You know, those configurations could be subatomic particles, they could be atoms, molecules, etc. Um, but a lot of these fundamental particles, these adamantine particles, are just free-flowing, and they're always um, constantly um, materializing into our 3D reality and then also kind of dematerializing out of our 3D reality. Um, another name for these particles um, is chi or prana. Um, like I said, it's also known as the Higgs particle or the Higgs boson, the adamantine particle. Um, and there's an infinite supply of them. And like I said, there's a subset of them that are already um, comprise the physical universe as we know it. But then there's an infinite supply that is always flowing into and out of this 3D reality, this 3D um, dimension that we find ourselves in. And the one spirit is the giant matrix or fabric that is like the communication system that allows love to communicate instantaneously throughout the entire existence as we know it. And so these three components, love, the one spirit, and the adamantine particle are, you know, you basically all in concert with each other. The one spirit is constantly resonating to love 
the adamantine particles are constantly dancing about and doing their thing in accordance with love. Um, and so, and love has an aware, a primal awareness. And so what makes something alive is basically um, the amount of love flowing into it or flowing out of it. Basically, <clears throat> everything has love associated with it. So you can mm-hmm. say all of existence is alive, but all of existence is also an ongoing in in breath and out breath, if you will. So in other words, as love comes around and says, oh, you know, I want to do this or create this or be this, it will use the adamantine particles of the one spirit to basically create or do whatever it's going to do. And as love flows into that whole situation, you can say that that whole situation is growing or it's becoming more alive or um, it's on the up and up. Um, if love has decided that that whole situation is now um, no longer serving a purpose and love starts to exit, well, the structure that may have uh, initially come about because of love entering the picture, that structure may now start to decay and start to recycle. Um, does the love ever completely leave? Not really. I mean, there's always certain amounts, but the vast majority of the, of the love, you can almost look at it as, as a river, if you will, of energy is flowing elsewhere now. And it's leaving that whole situation and allowing it to sort of tr- um, recycle and transform and, and transmute. So basically um, you can, Sort of, you know, like, it's funny, we're in this uh, political time right now, and people on the on the news are always saying, well, you got to follow the money. you got to follow the money to really find out what's going on. Well, really, you got to follow, you got to, but ultimately, in life, you've got to follow the love. Life yes. is just nothing, life is just nothing but love in action. Okay, that's, that's the, actually, if you were to try and find, you know, say, what's the definition of life? The definition of life is love in action. So the more love that's flowing towards something, the more life you have, the more that that whole situation is enlivened and growing. And then the more that love is flowing away, then the more that that's decaying and dying and going to recycle. And that there's an awareness with all of that. Like I said, love fundamentally has an awareness. And and the one spirit in the adamantine particles um, are are um, an outgrowth of that awareness. Actually, um, they are aware in the sense that they're connected to love, and so I, I don't know if that if that um, <clears throat> it addresses everything you <laughs> threw out there, Ronnie, because you kind of had a long mm-hmm. question there, but. Yeah. Um, if there's something else that you need me to clarify, please let me know. No, I, 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 I elongated the explanation specifically because I knew that it would, it would trigger some really incredible like um, explanations of what you what you shared in that lecture that really piqued my interest, and you pretty much gave me 
like really the bullet notes, but but I think for everyone listening too, like that gets a little that gets a lot deeper in a lot of cases scratches way more of the surface of what this idea around love is from a from a scientific level you know as as best as science can quote unquote approximate but ultimately what i get out of that explanation is that um is that love is is the foundational connective tissue holding together the fabric of everything it's the unified field principle right like it sounds like to me that the the concept of primal magnetism otherwise known as love in your language i think is pretty much what holds life together yeah you can kind of say that i mean primal magnetism is is you know say um on par with gravity, you know. So I would mm. say love causes primal magnetism. Okay. I would say I would say love causes gravity. You know. Um, so you know, basically, love is the grandest mystery of the universe. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll 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 never. I mean, we'll you know we'll never totally probably comprehend love because you know. I mean. God is the source of all love. I mean, it's, and the, the, the more that this is our, our pathway to understanding what love is, it's actually being in our own sacred hearts more and more and being the love that we are. And as we, um, understand our own true nature more and more and more, we will get closer and closer and closer to what love is. Mm-hmm. And we'll get, and we will get, we will know more and more what love is on all levels from any perspective, whether you want to look at from a scientific perspective or a spiritual perspective at the highest levels of perspective, science and spirituality have totally converged. I mean, they're one and the same thing. So, you know, love has no opposites. Love, um, you know, love is the universal solvent. Um, any polarity in the presence of love can be transmuted into a paradox. I mean, love, um, one thing, one way it was described to me once was that um, love is reversal transference where um, in the presence of like intention or some sort of first light, um, one thing can transmute into another. So, you know, love is one of these, it, it's, it's basically the energy responsible for existence itself, for bringing about existence. It's, it, love is the energy of God. I mean, if you were to somehow, this is the way I like to look at God, if you were to try and somehow imagine that the center of all existence is the center of God, and you were to look into that, you know, center, if you will, um, you could, you, you know, with your with your third eye, if you will, or something like this, you would see something that may you know resemble some super bright light that's so bright you could never even look into it. But it's not light; it's love. And basically, everything in this existence as we know it is supported and initially created from that source. So your soul, at the very source of your own soul, and my soul is a unique ray of love from that very source and that unique ray has its own mission its own frequency its own covenants its Mm. own whatever its own contracts and and it's and it's immortal it's going to go on forever even after this physical body's gone 
So, you know, it, you know, when, when somebody, you know, says, well, you know, how do you, how do you get at what love is? Like, that's kind of what you said to me. Like, well, I'm trying to understand what you mean by love. Well, you know, um, <laughs> gosh, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so many poems and so many songs and, mm. you know, so much written by humanity over, you know, eons on the subject of love. And, you know, if you were to encapsulate all of that, you still would barely be scratching the surface of what love is and its capability um, because it's really is infinite in nature. I mean, love has infinity associated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, ooh, so many, so many great things came up. And it's, and it's interesting because it, the more we try to anthropomorphize the concept of God or love or try to relate it back to some kind of reference point that we have of our own human experience, we can barely scratch the surface, as you said, to what the, the, the totality of something that's infinite, something that knows no limits, right? It's a, it's a paradox, essentially. You can't possibly get your mind around it because it has nothing to do with your mind. It's, it's, it's really like what you talk about with the sacred heart, I believe, is like, for example, like, you know when somebody's coming from their heart because you feel it with your heart. You feel it with your, your embodiment. It's like an embodiment of love that, that is not localized in the headspace. Absolutely. The more that one, you know, practices living in their sacred heart, um, when I say that, it's actually that point at the center of your soul that's actually like, you know, has a kind of a physical point within your physical body. Um, But it's not your physical pump that pumps the blood around your body. And it's not even your heart chakra, which is part of the, you know, seven chakras um, in the body. Um, This sacred heart point is the point literally where all your love is flowing um, through you out into the universe and um, it's flowing from actual God. It's flowing from the center of existence, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, I think, a deep meditation yogic practice to you know, get into that heart space, um, and, and be there and just being there is just pure prayer. It's just pure meditation. And when you're there, you're home. I mean, you feel like comforted. Yeah. To me, I feel at super, super peaceful. I mean, even if like all hell is breaking loose, you know, I can, I can go into my sacred heart and feel totally at peace and one with God and comforted, you know? And, um, I think, um, this is a very valuable thing to teach all humanity. I think, um, the more we can return home to the sacred space, um, the more a lot of humanity's problems will start to go away. Um, but it is a practice. It's a dedication. Um, and, um, I really, really encourage people to explore this within themselves. And it doesn't matter, um, your spiritual background or religious background. It doesn't matter if, you know, you believe in any of the, of the, um, spiritual paths of the East or the West or the North or the South or anything. 
because this is very, very fundamental to all human beings and actually all beings and actually ultimately to, you know, every entity, every, it's, it's, we're talking something that's just fundamentally part of existence and spiritual paths and religions have grown up to recognize this and try to put words and practices to it. But what we're talking about some, is, is something super fundamental to um, anything on this planet and beyond, for sure. Mm. So how does one put into practice the principles of the Sacred Heart? I'm curious what that looks like in your own day-to-day life. Well, you know, I, I do like to meditate, um, so I do. I'm a regular meditator, um, and um, when I do meditate, I take my awareness into my sacred heart and feel what that's like to be there, and and I seek God w- within that space, and I keep acknowledging God, and the more I do that consistently, the more I feel the energy of God supporting me. Um, I, I do feel that it's truly a two-way street the more you surrender to that. And it's really um, to open up that, to, to open up that, um, that space, um, um, you know, it, it's something that's, um, that requires, you know, letting go of the egoic mind. It's something that requires you know, leaving all the baggage at, at the door before you step through the door. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's something where that's why, say, in the Bible, it says, you know, enter the kingdom of God as a little kid. Why? Because a little kid's innocent. A little three-year-old is totally innocent. They have no judgment. They have no ego, you know, and that's what's required to open, to be in the heart and open it more and more and go deeper and deeper within it is to have um, an innocence and you know, basically flush your ego is, is what it comes down to. And that takes time and practice. A lot of, you know, the ego doesn't want to be flushed. The ego is going to be clawing on to, you know, stay alive. And um, so it, it's, and it, like I said, it doesn't really matter, you know, what angle you come at this from. Um, so long as you have a pure intention, as long as you put forth the effort, um, you'll start feeling the results. You'll, you'll, you know, that, I truly believe that for anybody. Mm. It's been that for me over, over many years. Really well put. And you see this with people from all different backgrounds of life, different ethnicities, different family situations, different upbringings, different cultures, different religions, or, or the lack thereof. We have examples of many, many different kinds of people from all these different walks of life that have achieved what they might call states of nirvana or um, satori or just pure bliss and just a connection with the divine for lack of, you know, using the connotation of God or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Like you said, it's really a state of feeling, isn't it? It's, It's something that Everybody can feel when they put their hand on their heart and they breathe into their physical heart, they're feeling their heart. And it doesn't matter. Any of these other details are irrelevant to the feeling of your heart. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when, I, when I'm talking heart here, I'm actually talking about um, an energetic matrix at the center of your soul. 
Um, I'm not talking about the physical pump. Heart, oh, I, pump absolutely. Right. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the heart shock. I'm talking about like, look, if I said to you, Ronnie, um, take your awareness to like the center of your left knee, you know, you take your awareness there and all of a sudden you kind of sort of can feel that you have a left knee. Whereas a moment ago, um, your awareness wasn't there and you probably didn't even know you had a left knee until I just pointed it out kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? I hear you. Yep. And, and, you know, and just that alone kind of shows that you're more than just a physical body. Cause if you were just a physical body, you'd probably only experience like your physical body all the time. You wouldn't be able to like talk and think about other things and dream about things and forget about your left knee. Where the question is now that you're there, ask yourself this question. Does that feel like the center of your whole being? Does that feel like the center point of, of your, the totality of who you are? No. (laughs) And if, and that didn't take long to answer. Most people can answer pretty quickly. Like you just did. That suggests that there is a center point. Mm. So, so because, and and so since that suggests that there is a center, because if there weren't a center point, you wouldn't really be able to know. You wouldn't be able to just tell me that like that. You'd be like confused. You'd be like, I don't know. I can't feel, I don't know. So if there's a center point, go there. Go to your center point, what feels like the center of the totality of who you are, your whole beingness. Go to that mm-hmm. center point. Mm-hmm. That, center, it's a center, that center point that, I, that you're feeling into is the center of your soul. That's your sacred heart. That's the point through which all your love is flowing 24-7. And that's the point through which your love is connected to God or the divine or creator of all that is, whatever you want to call this, you know, universal, beyond universe, infinite energy. So, um, you know, so that's, you know, once you're there, go there all the time, go there. That's what, you know, if you can be there all the time, like I'm there right now while I'm talking to you, then you, you've achieved it. You, that's it. That's it. That's, that's it. If you just are there all the time, if you can be there all the time when you're doing now, I haven't, even after all these years, I haven't been able to achieve that yet for myself where I'm there in my heart all 24 seven, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing, talking to, but that's the ultimate yoga for me is to be in that spot all the time, connected to God all the time, 24 seven, to me, that's the ultimate yoga. That's what I'm striving for in my personal life. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I can easily pop into my head and focus on a task at hand and kind of completely forget about that I should be just in my center point at all times. The more you're in your center point at all times, the more that you have peace, you have power, you, you are more connected with all that is. You're more connected with other people. You're more connected, obviously, with yourself. So this is what I like to explain and teach and inspire people to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty deep. And it's uh, I like how you explain it as a, just a daily yoga and a practice. Um, I would look at it like an unfolding possibility, like everything that's, everything that, that is occurring and, and has occurred, obviously, 
and will occur is an ever unfolding possibility. And it's one thing to be super driven and ambitious and goal oriented in life and to, you know, just to power through things, but it's quite another to actually enjoy the process on the way to our goals. And that's what I get from this is that it's, it's a pathway. Um, not that just like achieving goals is really all it's all about, but just as a, as a practical, methodology for enjoying one's life and also accomplishing great things that they want to accomplish. Um, myself, you know, that's if for anything, it's, it's really important for me to have that temperance, that balance. Um, yeah, yeah. So that feels really good to me. Great. Yeah. That's, I, that's, this is what I encourage people to do. I mean, your, your higher intelligences are all rooted in this, in this sacred space, mm. which are, are unity, love, life, respect, justice, um, honesty, kindness. These, these, these intelligences are all rooted in there. So whenever you bring something into that space, um, these intelligences are acting on it. And, um, and so these intelligences will always um, serve up to you the right course of action. And, and mm-hmm. it'll, it'll indicate it, the right course of action through a feeling, through a very positive, yeah. like joyful, freeing feeling. Yeah. Um, when you're following your heart, you're, you feel an immense amount, amount of freedom and peace. Mm. And that's really what, <laughs> that's what so much of the achiever mentality, I think, is striving to obtain one day, some far off distant time and space is one day I will arrive when I feel at complete peace with it all. And you can, well, yeah, you can just have that now. Yeah. I mean, that, that's every human's right, actually, mm-hmm. um, at the, what you just described is kind of more of an egoic mind um, uh, uh, perspective, um, because the way the mind operates is it, it all, it's it's a logic machine. It needs um, two reference points to operate, and um, it can't operate with just one reference point. Um, and so the thing is, because of that, typically the mind's always operating uh, from looking into the past and looking into the future. Um, and, and then, you know, assessing the situation now based on the past and the future. Um, and so it's, it, it, so the, the mind like you said, will will kind of say, Oh, well, I'm going to, um, do this now, do this now because I'm focused on something in the future and I'm believing all of this now and in the future based on results I've gotten in the past. So it's the mind is this is the, it's a great tool to um, you know to integrate yourself into 3D reality and um, and follow the conditions of life. It's not that's the mind's job, but but the thing is if the mind's totally doing that and kind of running the show and and controlling everything all the time. And not really actually being led by the heart and actually just carrying out what the heart's saying to do, the mind typically will uh, become disconnected and disillusioned, um, but disconnected from your soul's purpose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's why it's really critical to come from the heart because it, it allows your mind to be connected to the heart. And, 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 and basically you want to make sure that the heart is running the show is kind of the commander in chief and, and the mind is like, you know, um, whatever the first mate, if you will, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, team that's going to, um, put into action what the heart is feeling is the right thing to do. Um, and then when you're doing that, then like I said, you're just always feeling peaceful and, and full of freedom. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, if it's not doing that, the mind kind of gets into this egoic sort of thing where it's like, oh, it believes that it needs this to obtain that and that to obtain this and this. <laughs> then, then, and it's not really connecting with the heart. Then what ends up happening is you end up having all these feelings of angst and discontent and, um, you know, for long you can feel trapped. Um, so it's, it's really, I mean, this is fundamental to the human condition. I mean, I believe that humans, um, you know, are really in our, our early stages of evolution as a, a being in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I personally believe that, um, we're actually hybrid creatures. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really believe that. I don't, I think we're probably some cross between an ET and, and, uh, and like a primate that naturally evolved on this planet. I've got a lot of, a lot of reasons why I believe yeah, that. Yeah, I think there's but, actually a lot of compelling uh, kind of evidence that isn't often talked about to, to corroborate that idea. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that, you know, there's pain in childbirth, that's like ridiculous. No other mm. species on the planet that's, no other species that's evolved over millions and millions of years has pain in childbirth. Uh, I mean, to me, that's completely, you know, at odds to natural selection. Natural selection would never allow that. Um, you know, uh, natural selection, I don't think would have allowed us to become furless, you know, like just have bare skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that right. is completely against natural selection <laughs> in our environment. Completely goes against natural selection in our environment. That's um, a good point. You know, there's a lot of things. I mean, if you just even look like nobody knows what to eat. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been we're basically like we're like the equivalent of taking a, a gorilla out of a out of its natural habitat, putting it in an apartment, and feeding it coffee and donuts, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, if you look at like a koala bear, right? I mean, all it lives on uh, is eucalyptus leaves. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, that to create that kind of symbiotic relationship between a you, you know a, a being and a food source probably takes millions of years of evolution. I mean, that that's you know, or a whale just lives on plankton. I mean, that sort of stuff, you know, and, and lives perfectly. That that kind of evolutionary symbiotic relationship between food and animal takes like millions of years of evolution. Mm-hmm. We're not even close to that. We don't. Even, I mean, even if you go back to like the paleo diet or caveman diet and all that sort of stuff, we're still humans are you know they're eating everything that they can find in the environment. Everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, every that plants, the animals, insects, berries, nuts, seeds, you know, seafood, whatever. I they're eating everything they can find in the environment to meet their nutritional needs. That's right. Yeah. That that is so far away from an evolutionary symbiotic relationship between a food source and a being. It's a, so that's another thing. I mean, besides the childbirth thing, and that, that you know, these sort of things to me point that we're really a hybrid in its very early stages of evolutionary development. Mm. 
That was that was really great. Um, we don't have any more time to dive any further, so I have to put the the concluding marks on our conversation. I really really enjoyed our conversation. It was really just an interesting set of perspectives and directions that we went into, and ultimately the the central theme really understanding a little bit more and in, in tapping into the energy of the sacred heart and in practicing certain rituals that allow us to more and more live in our sacred heart. I think this is hyper invaluable perspectives and information for everybody so we can all get back to a place where we're actually embodying the sacred heart. So thank you for that. Ronnie, Thank you so much for having me on. Anytime uh, you call, I'll be back and we'll talk more about this and go into greater depth. But um, thanks for this opportunity. It's been a real true pleasure. You're just a great man. And all that you're doing is just truly amazing and contributing so much to the evolution of humanity on this planet. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm, I, I receive that fully and appreciate that, especially coming from you. That means a lot. Oh, oh, and uh, before I let you go, where can everybody find out about you, your chocolate, and your incredible nut butters, I have to say? <laughs> you know, sacred, you know, sacredchocolate.com. You know, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's the best place to learn about me. Um, you know, I, I may create another website down the road that's more kind of just spiritually focused, but um, uh, that's, you know, still kind of on the drawing board. Okay. Awesome. Sacredchocolate.com. For all of you out there listening, this has been another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show with our special guest, sacred Steve Adler. What an incredible conversation. And if you haven't gone to that website, sacredchocolate.com, make sure you do. They have great bundle packages on many of their sacred hearts. Uh, so you can mix and match. You can send it to a, a lover or a special someone or a friend or your mother, your grandmother, you know, as amazing gifts. They also have the world's number one highest quality nut butters by far. So definitely check those out too. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in.